Well, if you would turn with me to Jonah 3, our scripture reading will be all of Jonah 3, so if you turn there in your Bibles with me, and if you don't have a Bible this morning, there are some in the foyer, we'd encourage you to grab one and to take it home with you. So again, we'll be reading Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and not from, and from violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he'd said he would do on them, and he did not do it. Amen. So what would you think if I offered you a peanut butter or jelly sandwich? You'd probably say to me, Pastor, it's supposed to be a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's supposed to be both and with this kind of sandwich, not either or. Or what would you say to your husband about where you were going to do some Christmas shopping this year? You wouldn't say, I'm going to the bathworks store one day and then going to the bodyworks store the next day. The store in Augusta is called Bath and Bodyworks. In this store, you can buy stuff to make your bathroom look and smell nice, and you can buy stuff as well to take care of the skin on your body. What a concept. It's Bath and Bodyworks. It's not just one or the other. You can buy both the things that make your bathroom look nice as well as the things that make your skin feel nice, all in one place. Sometimes people can get stuck in thinking that things have to be either this way or that way. We can develop a hardening of the categories. We're not used to seeing that some things are better together, nor are we used to seeing that some things actually must go together. In the church, there are two things that many churches keep separate. Some churches believe that the only thing that we should do is preach the gospel. We need to preach the good news that Christ died for our sins on the cross and then rose from the dead. That is the only mission of the church. But some churches believe that you can't be so heavenly-minded that you do no earthly good. And so these churches believe that you must do justice in the community. 
You must help the poor. You must bring an end to violence. You must help all who are in need in your community. This is the only mission of the church in the opinion of these types of churches. But what does the Bible actually teach? We will see in Jonah chapter 3 today that the mission of God's people is both and, not either or. It has always been this way. We must both preach the good news about God and about Christ, and we must do justice in our community. If you are only doing one or the other, you are not doing your job as a church. Let's look then at Jonah's story today so that we can see that people need the both-and mission of the church. First of all, people need the church to preach the gospel. When you read Jonah chapter 3 and verses 1 and 2, you, you might feel like you're having a flashback as you read these words. We read at the beginning of chapter 3, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Now, this is almost an exact repeat of the words that God spoke to Jonah in chapter 1. God is offering then to Jonah a fresh start, a fresh beginning, after he initially refused to obey God's command to go to Nineveh. Jonah probably definitely needed a fresh start after being vomited up by a whale on the beach. If anyone needed a visit to the Bath and Body Works store, it was Jonah after he had explored the inner workings of a great fish's digestive system for three days. And this time, when Jonah got his second chance, Jonah does not disobey God. Instead, he goes, we read in verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And what was the message that Jonah spoke to the wicked people of Nineveh? Verse 2 tells us that it was not Jonah's own words that he spoke to the people, but rather he was to tell the people the message that God told him to speak. Jonah was a prophet, and so he was to speak to the people the words of God, not his own words. And I have a feeling that Jonah liked the message that God gave to him to speak. The message God gave him to speak is found in verse 4. Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, this is one of the shortest evangelistic messages in world history. In Hebrew, the message is just five words. Some of you wish your own pastor would preach a sermon of this length. But even though Jonah only got these five words out, I am sure that he got his money's worth. No one preached a sermon more enthusiastically than Jonah did. This is a message about the wrath of God. And Jonah wanted God's wrath to fall on Israel's enemies, the Ninevites. That's what he wanted. He wanted God to put the hammer down 
on these evil people. The word overthrown that Jonah uses here in his message is the same as the word that was used to describe what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah when God sent fire from heaven and destroyed those two cities. The people of Nineveh had 40 days to repent, Jonah said. And if they didn't, they would be completely destroyed. Jonah, unfortunately, did not seem all that sad that all of these people from Nineveh were about to die. Jonah did not shed a tear. He was happy. He was glad that he had a front row seat to see the destruction of his enemies. But a funny thing happened to Nineveh on their way to being toasted and roasted in 40 days, like Jonah preached would happen. It didn't happen. Jonah must have been shocked by the response that he received to his message. No one laughed at his message, and no one indeed beat him up for his message. Instead, Jonah was one of the most successful evangelists in world history. And without a doubt, Jonah was one of the unhappiest successful evangelists in world history. All of the people of the city of Nineveh repented, and Jonah was unhappy with that. The message of the gospel that Jonah preached is a message of both bad news and good news. It is a message of sin and salvation. If the people would turn from their sin in repentance and faith, God would save them. And this is exactly what happened to the people of Nineveh. They believed God. Look at their response to the preaching of Jonah's message in verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They believed that God was about to judge them. They knew it was true. And so they showed their repentance by putting on sackcloth. They took immediate action. They knew there was no time to waste. They knew they had to get right with God right away. And so they put on this sackcloth, a rough, coarse cloth, to show that they were sad about their sin. The Ninevites then turned away from their sin, and that's what the word repent means. To repent means to be walking away from God when suddenly you, you turn, and you turn back to God and walk back to Him. That's what it means to repent. And four times in verses 8 through 10, here in Jonah chapter 3, we read a description of the people of Nineveh turning back to God, repenting. In verse 8, we read the king of Nineveh in his proclamation saying, let everyone turn from his evil way. If the Ninevites would turn, if they would repent, the king says in verse 9, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. And that is exactly what happens according to verse 10. When God saw what they did, 
how they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What good news for the people of Nineveh. Incredibly good news. They repented, and in response, God spared their lives. How important it was then for Jonah to preach the gospel to this city. If he had not done so, the people of Nineveh would have been destroyed by the wrath of God. Now, let me ask you, how would you feel if God gave to you the assignment that he gave to Jonah to preach the good news to people who were enemies of God? You would probably be scared, right? Jonah was commanded to do something by God that no other Old Testament prophet had been asked to do up to this point. Other Old Testament prophets had spoken against other particular countries, but they had spoken their prophecies from within the safety and the security of Israel's borders. But that was not the assignment that God gave to Jonah. God told Jonah, you need to go physically to your enemies and tell them to repent. So the command to Jonah in verse 2 must have been scary. Arise, go to Nineveh. But do you know what? Jesus has commanded every Christian with the same scary command that he gave to Jonah. I'd like for us to read out loud together from Matthew chapter 28 and verses 19 and 20. Notice the very first word is the same word that God gave to Jonah. Let's read together. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We also, then, have been commanded to go. We are to take risks, to leave behind all that makes us feel safe and secure so that we can make more disciples of Jesus. That is the calling for every Christian. That is the command that God gives to each one of us, not just to Jonah. And so if the people of the world are going to be saved from the judgment of God, they need the church to do the risky work of preaching the gospel. A woman named Becky decided that she would take a risk to invite non-Christians from her neighborhood to a Bible study. She would read stories from the Gospel of John about Jesus, and then the entire Bible study would be her asking questions of these non-Christians about Jesus, what they were learning about Jesus from the story they were reading. And one of the neighbors that Becky had invited was a college professor who was rough around the edges. And so the group one day was reading the story of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Now, if you know this story, you know that this Samaritan woman had been married five times and she had been 
used throughout the course of her life by many different men. But then Jesus meets her at the well, and he begins a conversation with her by simply asking her to give him a drink, if she could do that for him. And so Becky asked the women in the Bible study what they thought that the Samaritan woman was thinking when she heard Jesus asking her for a drink. After a while, the college professor answered, well, that's a pickup line I've never heard before. And after Becky laughed at what she said, she told the college professor, you know, you just had an insight into the Samaritan woman that I've never heard in all my years of going to church. It's amazing what you know about her. But it was through these Bible studies in the Gospel of John that this college professor learned something about Jesus that she did not know. She learned that Jesus is not like the men that she knew. For the men that she knew were only interested in women for their body. Jesus, on the other hand, loved her for her soul. He loved her that deeply. And it was that love for her that changed her life. It was a love that she realized would forgive her of her sins, that would make her a new person, that would give her a fresh start in life. And so as a result of that particular Bible study, this college professor received Christ into her life, and her life changed. And now that same college professor is leading Bible studies with her non-Christian friends to help them to understand who Jesus is. So was it worth it? Was it worth the risk for Becky to invite these non-Christians to this Bible study? Was it worth it for her? Absolutely. And let me ask you, what risks will you take to preach the gospel? What risks is God calling you to make to preach the gospel to your neighbors and to your friends? Maybe you can do the same thing as Becky did. You can invite someone to study the gospel of John with you. Or maybe in this Christmas season ahead, you can give to someone a gospel of John to have them read it for themselves. Or maybe you can take the risk of inviting someone that you know to come to church. Or maybe you can take the risk of sacrificing some of your money to give so that the work of the gospel can go forward. We've just heard this morning of missionaries in need of more finances in order to go and, and share the gospel overseas. It's a risk for us to, to let go of some of the money that God has given us to to take care of the needs of others so that they can spread the gospel. But it's a risk that's well worth taking as people come to faith in Christ. And so I would encourage you then to take such risks. God commands his people to take risks to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel is a necessary part of what every church and what every Christian does. Well, people then need the church to preach the gospel. But people also need the church to do justice. The book of Jonah tells us that it is not only important for the church 
to preach the gospel. We need to preach about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. But the book of Jonah also teaches us that we need to do justice. Justice is important to God in our ministry here on earth. The church needs to be at the forefront of doing justice. How do we see this call to justice in the book of Jonah? First, notice that Jonah is not so much calling the people of Nineveh to conversion, to worship Yahweh, the one true God of all the earth. There is no mention in the book of Jonah of the people of Nineveh turning away from their idols after they repent of their sin in chapter 3. The citizens of Nineveh did not worship Yahweh with sacrifices like the sailors had done in chapter 1 after God had saved the sailors' lives. God then at this point was initially asking the people of Nineveh, commanding them to repent of their social injustice. Jonah's message to the people to repent was a message about changing their ways at this moment. When the king of Nineveh heard Jonah's words, he understood, according to verse 8, that God was telling the people of Nineveh to turn from his evil way and from the violence in his hands. The people were a very violent people. They were guilty of robbing other people of their human rights. They were guilty of oppression and violence within the city and within other nations. And so God told the people through Jonah that they needed to turn from their evil way, according to verse 10. They needed to act justly in their treatment of other people. If they did not start treating other people with justice, then God would judge Nineveh. We in the church then need to be doing justice, preaching justice, and seeking justice. But what does seeking justice mean in our community? Let me show you a picture to help you understand. Seeking justice means what children recite in the last phrase of the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you remember what that last phrase is that children say? With liberty and justice for all. Not just for me and for my tribe, but liberty and justice for all people that God has made. Seeking justice, then, means seeking equal treatment for all people. We see the Bible speak to this issue of justice in Proverbs chapter 31 in verses 8 and 9. Let's read those verses together out loud. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Seeking justice then means speaking up with your voice for those who cannot speak for themselves. In this verse in Proverbs, it means speaking up on behalf of those who are poor in your community, 
It means being radically generous with all that God has given you to help the poor in their need. And in the rest of the Old Testament, it means helping three classes of people, the widow, the orphan, and those who are foreigners. Widows, orphans, and foreigners were the marginalized people within Israel, and they were very poor. But God said to all of his people through his prophets, these people matter to me. They are made in my image, and so you need to do justice on their behalf. It is no surprise then that in the 20th century, when Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wanted to seek justice on behalf of African Americans that were being oppressed because of their race in this country, he spoke a message from the Old Testament prophets. In his I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King said these famous words about justice. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day even the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And who did Dr. King quote when he wanted to quote an authority about justice? He quoted from the Bible. He quoted from the prophet Amos, Amos chapter 5 and verse 24, where he said, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. All of the Old Testament prophets like Amos and like Jonah, made it clear that God's people need to be equally committed to preaching the gospel of sin and salvation and to doing works of justice that care for the poor and for the voiceless and for the marginalized in our society. It is not either or. It is both and. So what will happen in our community if people from the church insist on bringing liberty and justice for all people in our community? What will happen if the church generously provides for the poor, for foreigners, and for those who are so powerless that they don't have a voice? People will see the love of God in the church. People will hear the gospel in what we are doing. 
They will hear the love of God. They will see it with their own eyes as the church does the work of justice in in its community. For it is only those who know they have eternal life because of the radical grace of the gospel who in turn can go to others and give to them grace. When the community sees us sacrificially serving our neighbors, whether they believe like we do or not, then the community will see that we are motivated more by God's love than by a desire for power in our community. The church doing justice makes the gospel understandable to our community and believable. We in the church then must both preach the gospel and do justice. The secular mainers in our community have a problem when it comes to justice and morality. On the one hand, the secular mainers all around us are very moral people. They speak up on issues of morality and justice all of the time. And that is a really good thing. It's good that they are so concerned about justice because God is a God of justice. We have a point of contact with all of the secular mainers around us who are interested in justice. But the secular mainers also have a problem when it comes to justice and morality. You see, on the one hand, they will say, we need to be doing works of justice and here's what is just. Here's what is right. But in the very next sentence, those secular mainers will say, all morality is relative. There are no absolutes when it comes to right and wrong. Well, how can you say that? How can you say on the one hand that all morality is relative, but then in the next sentence you can say, everyone must do this. Everyone must believe that this is moral. Everyone must do what I say. How can you do that? You can't. The secular beliefs that we must be committed to this type of morality when there is no morality that is true for all people in all places. Those statements undercut one another. They cancel each other out. So here then is where we in the church can help our secular neighbors who have an incoherent view of justice and morality. We can help them to see what scholars are discovering in recent days. Those scholars are seeing that human rights does not flow from a United Nations document. Actually, the foundation for human rights is Christianity. It is Christianity that teaches that all people are made in the image of God. And because all people are made in God's image... All people are worthy of equal protection and equal rights. All people should have social justice. These values of social justice and human rights have been imported into our secular society from Christianity and from the Bible. We in the church, then, can help 
secular people in our community to more consistently live out their values. We can help them understand God's love for human beings as we preach the gospel about the Father who sent his Son to die on the cross for our sins. We can teach them how love and justice meet at the cross when we experience God's mercy for our sins and where we also at the same time experience God's punishment of our sins. And we can show our secular neighbors what it is to live with liberty and justice for all, even for people who are not Christians, who are not like us. So church, let's do this. Let's preach the gospel of sin and salvation. And let's do justice. If we do both of these things, then we will be doing both earthly and heavenly good. Let's pray together. God, how grateful we are for the gospel, how grateful we are for the good news of sins that can be forgiven and of sins that are punished at the cross. Thank you that you do not look the other way when people commit evil against one another. Thank you that you are a God who calls for repentance because sin is evil that hurts others. And so I pray that we as your church would be a church that preaches the gospel, but I pray as well that we would be a church that does justice in our community so that people can see the gospel in how we live. In your great name we pray, amen.